just, uh, they run with it. I want to thank uh, Merle himself, uh, Mike Poldrack, who uh, plays on our band. So if you're wondering who that was, just look up here at the end of service and you'll see him beaming with pride that I'm even mentioning this right now. Well, we're talking about how to survive some crazy Christmas, some crazy family during the Christmas season. And uh, I've got some thoughts about Merle. Everybody has a Merle or a Merlinda in their life. He may not be your redneck uncle, or maybe he is. Maybe he is the guy that at the Christmas festival, you're gonna, he's going to say, Hey, hold my Dr. Pepper and watch this. And now you're going to spend the next day in the ER with Merle. Uh, Merle represents the guy or girl that might just not know when to quit teasing or doesn't have an inside voice or has an outlandish opinion about something and you're not going to convince him with logic and evidence and like, you know, normal way people think. He's already convinced, you know, the earth is flat as all there is to it. Merle's that guy or girl, that coworker, that relative, that uncle that's always complaining about something. They're never quite satisfied. They can't wait to bring up something critical. Maybe they think they could raise your children better than you could. Uh, they don't have any of their own children. They have three dogs. But, you know, it's the same thing, right? Maybe they have different values than you have. And so they say things or talk about things when you're around the family that you wouldn't normally say or normally talk about. And, and you're having to do a little collateral damage talk with your kids about what that word means, you know. They don't know when to quit. They don't know when to quit talking or quit eating or quit laughing. Maybe they don't know when to quit drinking or quit flirting or when to let the joke go. I mean, it was seven years ago, Mom. I mean, Melissa. I mean, Merle. It was seven years ago. Merle's the one that pushes your buttons, steps on your toes, gets on your nerves. He's like Cousin Eddie from the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. He's just going to show up in an RV, empty his RV into your gutter in the street. He just is Merle. He'll wear wear out his welcome, say ridiculous things, and get you off your game. And when Merle gets the best of you, or Merlinda gets the best of you, you and I feel some things, we think some things, we say some things, we do some things, and we end up regretting some things because Merle got the best of us. Now, I I know we're talking about Merle this morning, and we're talking about how to survive maybe a crazy family member or or a relative or associate or neighbor, but, but, but maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't know, I don't know anybody that's a Merle like that. You're, you're the Merle, maybe. You might just be Merle. You're the, you're cousin Eddie. So, 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 so maybe you're not dealing with that yet, but I think if you live long enough, you're going to deal with some crazy people. What I want to talk to you about over the course of the next just two weeks before we get into our Christmas service is two things. Today, I want to talk about a key emotion that Merle brings out in all of us. Uh, If we're not careful, this emotion brings all other stuff to a head. It deals with other things. It is like a catalyst towards other issues in our lives. We'll talk about that this week. Next week, what I want to talk about is this, and and it's the truth. Even as much as Merle might get on our nerves or Merle's the kind of guy you want to avoid, you will never lock eyes with anyone, including Merle, that doesn't deeply matter to Jesus. And so when Jesus, his nickname being Emmanuel, God with us, he's God with us, even with Merle. And so what I want to give you next week is just some helpful uh, kind of life hacks, if you will, on how to 
share your faith in an unintimidating way. How to let Christ be the center of your life when Merle tries to take over. And how to just have a very simple, unintimidating, not, you know, hitting anybody over the head with the King James and dragging them into the altar. We're just talking about how to have a conversation about your faith with Merle, and we'll do that next week. Now, before we jump in today, I want to say this. Um, when we deal with emotions, we all have emotions. The problem is when our emotions have us. We all manage our emotions. The problem is when our emotions manage us. And if you're here and maybe you, you're here because you were invited by somebody, you, you, you were in with family, you thought you'd be here today, and you're not really sure about Jesus. You're, you, you kind of maybe are... are kind of sick and tired of the church thing or the religion thing, and, and you kind of clump Jesus into all that. And so, you know, you're not really here to, uh, maybe you're investigating, but you haven't really asked him to be the Savior, your Lord. First of all, I want you to know this is a, a safe place for you to find and follow Jesus. But I'll also say to you, this is still going to be helpful for you. Whether you tell, tell everybody Jesus is my Savior or not, I'm going to give you some practical advice on how to manage relationships. But if you're a Christian in the room, if you have said, Jesus, I want you to be the Savior, the center, the Lord of my life, then you don't have an option. You don't get to opt out of these conversations we're going to have today. You, you don't get to choose, ah, I'll pick and choose this from the word of God, but that one, what, what Pastor Jeremy's talking about today, that's just, you know, that's for other people. This is how I roll. You don't have that option. As a Christ follower, we are, we are propelled to deal with the morals in our lives. In fact, take a look at this scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 23 through 26. Here's what Paul says to the young leader, Timothy. Don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Some of you, that was Thanksgiving. Some of you, that was like Facebook this morning. Paul goes on to say, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and what? Everybody say it out loud with me. And be patient with Man, sometimes the Bible gets on my nerves sometimes because it says things about me that I'm not, I don't got right exactly. It shows me a mirror of how my life should be. And when I look in the mirror, I don't see what Jesus wants to see quite yet. And as I talked last week about waiting and the posture of waiting for God to show up from where you're here and then you're waiting for there to come and you're in the middle of that waiting, I'm preaching out of my weakness when it comes to waiting. And when it comes to today and emotions, I, I, I can be preaching out of weakness today. So it's two weeks in a row. Actually, it's probably 52 weeks in a row that I preach out of weakness today. But you know... I want you to write these two things down in your study notes there on the back of your worship guide. We're going we're gonna to gallop through some thoughts on a key emotion. But these are critical to understand, especially entering into the Christmas season where you're going to be with family or, or relatives or staff Christmas parties or you name it. These are two critical things for us to remember. Number one, out-of-control emotions will always create chaos. The, if, if you're looking for... Uh, a serenity now experience in your life. Out-of-control emotions are not going to bring serenity. Out-of-control emotions, I promise you, will always create more chaos than clarity. 
But also, out-of-control emotions will never, everybody say never, never produce God-honoring results. So when we let our emotions get the best of us, when we are driven by emotions as opposed to being driven by the God who gave us emotions, it'll never produce God-honoring results. It can produce behavior modification. You can see this in homes. I've been guilty of it. Where, where you've counted to three, five times, and then finally you get loud enough and you get boisterous enough, you, you scare them into submission. Those little brats that you're babysitting <laughs> because your kids are perfect. No, it, it's, it's, you, you, you can say, you know, you slam the door hard enough or as the boss, you, you let the hammer down hard enough. People you will respect my authority. Well, that, that's an out-of-control emotion. Well, you, you, you may produce momentary behavioral modification, but it will not produce godly, God-honoring results in our life. So we have, to, we have to have a talk about our emotions. Now look at this. No one chooses how I respond to Merle except me. But yet we always are talking about how Merle made me so mad. I can't believe Merle said that. I wish, I wish Merle Linda would just get a clue. Oh, who's going to be at the Christmas party? Merrill? Merrill's going to be at the Christmas party? You know how she was at the last Christmas party. Woo-hoo. Oh, she just, you know, so frustrated with Merle. But no one chooses how I respond except me. So when they made me do it, the same way as kids, I used to say, the devil made me do it. No, no. I chose to respond the way I responded. And when it comes to responding to people, let's look at this scripture. Proverbs 25. If you cannot control your anger, you're as helpless as a city without walls, open to attack. You, you, you think that when you get angry, you're the one shooting the missiles. You're, you're the one throwing, throwing the spear or, 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 or pointing the arrow. But the truth is, you actually are crumbling your defenses. And you're open to the enemy. You're open to other elements in your life. And it creates a vulnerability that can, can burn you down to the ground. So let's talk about this whole thought of anger today. And it may be that you're on a different playing field when it comes to anger. There's all kinds of different tiers. Let's talk about some of the attributes of anger and see if there is a, a spark or a fuse or a simmering, smoldering, small little flame. Some of you are dealing with California wildfire reality in your life. Others, it always starts with that little deal. So attributes of anger, write these down in your worship guide here. Number one, anger is not a sin. So when you get angry, it's not automatic sin. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So anger, an emotion in and of itself, is not sinful. The same way attraction, it's, 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 not, it's not a sin to be attracted to someone. But when that attraction leads me to thinking thoughts that I don't take captive, when the, act, when the attraction leads me to saying things, doing things, pushing against boundaries, that's when an emotion can become sinful. But anger in and of itself is not sin. It's this. Anger can become sin based on how I respond to it. 
and how I express it. Because you can sin in your anger. And when we look at the Word of God, we see several different characters that can give us a kind of a, a, a bird's eye view of what anger looks like. You got different merles in the Bible that had to deal with anger in different ways. These aren't in your notes, but you may want to write them down. You got Merle the Maniac, which we also know in Genesis as Cain. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4, Cain became furious and he scowled in anger. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. He just went maniacal on Abel because Abel's sacrifices were being honored by God, but Cain didn't have the right heart when he brought his sacrifices. And actually, Cain brought it on himself, but he was so angry, all he could do was go maniacal with it and put that focus on someone else instead of dealing with his own heart and his own offering and his own situation. So you got Merle like Cain. You got Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping prophet. I, people say I was, I was actually named after Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Um, but, but Jeremiah in the, in, in the Bible, the weeping prophet, he even has to deal with this moment. And he's the mute. He, I stayed by myself and was filled with anger. Why do I keep on suffering? Why are my wounds incurable? So when we think of Merle who lashes out, maybe you've identified somebody in your family or in your friendships. Or maybe it's more like this, where they, it's, it's, a, it's a quiet behind the scenes, and they put the facade up, but, but inside they're burning. Ever been there? Ever know anybody that's been there? Are we getting too close to comfort here? Maybe it's Merle the martyr. And this has to do in the story of the prodigal son's older brother. Prodigal son goes up to his dad and says, Dad, you're rich. I want my inheritance. I want it right now. I can do it better than you can. Give me my money. And the father says, here you go. And he flies first class to Las Vegas, and he's at the Bellagio and the brothels, and he wastes it all. He finds himself picking up scraps from an all-you-can-eat buffet in some dumpster behind Caesar's palace. And he says, even the pigs at my father's house, even the servants at my father's house ate better than this as he's wallowing in the pigsty of life and he comes back up to 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 ask forgiveness and surrender and just be a uh, just be a servant not even a son and as he's walking up the road to the front door his father's waiting through the screen door and what an image of God that before he can get even halfway up the road the father busts through the screen door and he catches his son right where he is and he forgives and he restores and he clothes him and he puts the ring on his finger representing authority in the family and the older brother is ticked in fact the bible says the older brother was so angry he would not go into the party so his father went out and pleaded with him inside the party <laughs> he's back he's back he's back he's back and outside the party <laughs> he's back he's back he's back maybe you're that martyr what I thought he wasn't coming to Christmas. No, hey, you know what? Fine. As long as they stay in the living room, I'm going to be in the garage. Boy, I'm getting too close, aren't I? For some. Maybe you've been that way. I'm not calling him. He knows what he did. When he's ready to make it right, I'll be ready. But I doubt he'll ever have that heart. Maybe you're like the Pharisee and you're the Merle, the manipulator. And once something's happened, you can't wait to, you're not going to get mad, you're going to get even. And even the Pharisees 
In Luke 6, they were furious about Jesus and everything that he was doing, and they began to plot with each other what they might do to Jesus. Anger can become sin depending on how we express it. So don't think of anger as punching a hole in the wall. It could be a quiet, smoldering issue that you must give over to Jesus. Anger is not only expressed as sinful in how we respond or express it, but anger starts small. It doesn't start right here. It starts way, way, way down with an irritation, with a frustration, like a, like a, like a mosquito, like a, just a little, just, a, just a, an itch that you can't scratch. And then it grows, and it gets bigger and bigger. And before you know it, that little spark, as I was mentioning earlier, can bring devastation to a whole family, like this California wildfires that is wreaking havoc on a state. And it all didn't start with the huge wildfire. It started very, very small. You'd also write it down, anger is a signal. It's a signal that something's not aligned with you and Jesus. When I was in high school, my dad and I went to go test drive a car. It was a for sale by owner in the classifieds. Sweet Toyota Camry. And... uh, (laughs) And uh, that's how I roll, baby. Um, and so, and I ended up driving an 87 Ford Aerostar minivan. That's, that's, that was how cool I became. It was awesome. It dies. Every time you turn left, it would die. I'd have to throw it into neutral on a left-hand turn, start it back up, kick it back into drive. My parents were always safety first, apparently. <laughs> Took the seats out of it, put some bean bags in there, put some Christmas lights around the top of it. It was the ghetto cruiser. When I went to go test drive this Toyota Camry, it was better than the Aerostar, right? I did not want to be driving the Aerostar. I wanted, you know, a nicer car. Um, when I pulled it out of the driveway, it was making a little noise. It smelled a little funny through the vents. We drive not far, and I noticed on the dashboard, it was hilarious, black electrical tape. And, and so I started peeling away the black electrical tape. They had covered up the check engine light. <laughs> The check engine light was on underneath the black electrical tape. Man, the check engine light's on. What should we do? Cover it up. You know, Like, that's brilliant. But isn't that how we are sometimes? We see a signal, and instead of dealing with the root, we maybe cover it up with another church service, or we cover it up with excuses, or we cover it up with, you know, just trying to make amends, but never really dealing with the root issue. It's a signal. That there's other things. Anger isn't the root. It's other elements. We'll get to that in a moment. Finally, anger has a source. Anger has a source. It always comes from something else. And it may be a heart that's been wounded. and You've got hurts and it's caused anger. Your future has been threatened. It's like a fear of what might happen or what might not happen. And that can bring anger. Your rights have been violated. Whether it's just, a, whether it's just someone not paying attention Or maybe you've been deeply, deeply wounded and your rights have been violated. It's an injustice that you're dealing with. Maybe it's a performance is not accepted and it doesn't matter how hard you work to impress your dad or your mom. It's like you never can quite hit the mark and you just frustrate and it just makes you angry. And it's a source here. But you know, he has a plan in the future for you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. I've overcome the world. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no matter what you go through, if you'll lean on me, 
Not on your own understanding, I'll make your path straight. He loves you that even while you were a sinner, your performance was not at its best. He still dies for us. If we can understand and grasp the power of Jesus in this, it's not about biting your bottom lip. It's not about just choosing not to be angry. It's about leaning into Jesus when our emotions become out of control. So what's the danger in anger? Just the way I roll, just get off the tracks when the train's coming through. You don't like what I say, then don't listen. Okay, yeah, yeah, maybe that is how you are. Maybe that is how you roll on the train tracks, but it's not who God's called you to be. He's called you beyond that. And the danger in anger, write it down. I face danger in profuse anger. That's volcanic, eruptive anger that you see, you know, going crazy when, when the, you know, uh, my, 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 one of my professors, Dr. Rutland, one of the greatest leaders I've ever known, uh, he, he talked about in his 20s, he was such an angry man. And he was in Walmart parking lot, and he walked out to his, his car, and he was dealing with rage in his heart and, and, and unforgiveness and issues of sin. And he was also a pastor in this tiny little town that had this little Walmart. And, and he's the pastor, and he's in his suit and tie. And he walks up to his car, and, and his tire is flat. And it just it profuse. And it, like, he loses it. And he gets the trunk open, and he's, getting the t- he's got the tire iron, right? And, and he's, he's, got the, he's got the tools in his hand, the thing that pumps up the jack. And he's just so upset because the tire inside is completely flat that he loses it. His wife's in the passenger seat, and he starts hitting the car with the tire iron. Just hitting the car. And he looks up, and one of the older ladies in his church, <laughs> is walking to her car. And he's like, oh. And he looks at her, <laughs> and he says, all that came to my mind was, that mosquito's been bothering me all day long. I, I, just, I think I got it. <laughs> you know? Just volcanic, eruptive, profuse anger. It's not going to do anything healthy for you. The other danger in anger, and easily provoked. The book of Proverbs says, a quick-tempered man does foolish things. And i got to be honest, when I do some self-inventory on this sermon, I see that there are things with my kids and with my wife, and it's not really my kids and my wife, it's really me, that easy, just, just easily provoke. And I get upset about small things, and, and all Jeremy's wives said, amen. Amen. <laughs> my first one, my first one says Amen. <laughs> I face danger and easily provoked anger. It's, it's, like a, uh, it's like a fuse to dynamite. You light that sucker, boom. may not be eruptive like a volcano, but it definitely, you start that fuse, you better run and hide. Number three, I face danger and prolonged angry. This, anger. This is like simmering stew. It just, it just boils. It just boils. It just boils. And, 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 and you might just spill on somebody you don't know, but it just, you just sit there and you simmer and you marinate and you recount it and you, re, you, you rethink it and you, you, nur- you nurse it in your mind and you rehearse what they did to you in your mind and you just you, you curse them and you nurse you and you rehearse the situation and it does nothing but wreak havoc on everything in your life and it will produce chaos and it will not produce God-honoring results. These are the dangers in anger. Write it down. Anger that is out of control is like a grenade. 
it'll kill people. It'll destroy people. It'll destroy relationships. And it'll blow you up too. It'll blow you up to do too. So in this holiday season, when I know it's easier for me to come up with like a sermon on Mary expecting and the glow and the radiance of Mary and her prayer to the, to the Lord, we can talk about that. But then you're also going to be dealing with Merle in a couple weeks. So we're going we're gonna to pray to Jesus and we're going to celebrate his birth and all that he's done and we're going to remember all of the Christmas story but we also need to talk about disarming the anger grenade this Christmas so what does that look like jot a couple thoughts down here number one it looks like you and me powering down put the brakes on whoa back up the truck put the grenade down, power down. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, the first verse, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It stirs it up. And you want to get that last word in edgewise. No, 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 no. Soft answer turns away wrath. The JY version, the Jeremy Yancey version says, a soft answer can disarm an anger grenade, but a harsh word could get you blown up. That's just the reality of life. Number two, not only do we need to power down and simmer down and just, just pause, just, just pause, but we need to follow up with some things. Maybe you need to follow up with someone that there's been a blow up, there's been a grenade, there's been an issue with Merle or Merlinda. And you need to follow up on that. It's so critical. But I didn't do anything wrong. I'm serious. I'm ser like, I know that people say that, but I didn't do anything wrong. Yes. So here's what you have to do. If you're offering your gift at the altar, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. If you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Now, wait, 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 wait. Remember that your brother has something against you. You don't even have something against them. They have something against you. What do you do? Leave your gift there in front of the altar. You're about ready to sing, oh, come all ye faithful, and drop your tithe in the offering bucket, and you're remembering in the middle, oh, come let us adore. You're thinking, whoa, wait, Bobby's upset with me. He's upset with me. Jesus goes on to say, first, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. What's he saying? You can't really know the Jesus-centered life if you're trying to always make things right with God, but don't remember to make things right with one another. Because as we forgive one another, he forgives us. It shows us what his forgiveness really means and really looks like. So, you know, today, maybe before you even leave the parking lot, not while you're driving, <laughs> But maybe you need to text somebody. Maybe you need to message someone. Maybe you need to let someone know, hey, you know what? I think things have been a little intense between us, and I just want to make it right, man. I just want to balance the books. That's what reconciling is. I just want to balance the books, make it right again. Maybe you need to do that today. Now, if they don't receive it, that's not up to you to, you know, you will balance the books with me. You will reconcile, bless God. That's not how it works. In fact, if they are just hard-headed and they just won't do it, 
The Bible even addresses that in Proverbs 19. A hot-tempered man is going to pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. So if someone's losing it with you and you still want to try and make it right and they keep losing it with you, they got a penalty to pay. So you back off of that. You deal with you and God and let God deal with them. You cannot fix them the way God can fix them. And some of you, your struggle and your frustrations and your intensity and your stress comes from trying to fix things you were never meant to fix. Only God can do it. So you back off and let God do what only they can do with Merle. Number number three, own up. So we're powering down. We're following up with a neighbor or a friend. But then this is the harder part, but it's the good part. Own up. You got to own your peace. Own your issue. Own your anger and stop pointing the finger to somebody else. And when we're so frustrated with people, we say things like that. You know what the problem is, Merle. You don't tell you what the problem is, Merle. Why don't you tell me, Janet? What is the problem here? Well, I'll tell you, Pastor Merle. We say things like, you know what the problem is here? You just don't get it. Don't write it down. That's not the right answer. (laughs) But that's what we say. That's our answer. You just don't get it. You just don't understand. You know, maybe if you were in my shoes just for a minute, you'd understand what I'm going through. But you don't get it, Merle. You don't understand my life, Merle Linda, what I've had to go through to get to where I am. You know what the problem is here? You don't respect me. You know what the problem is here? You have no clue how to treat people, Merle. And they don't. They don't. They're like treating people stupid. But that means I'm just so upset with you because you don't know how to treat people. Or you say, you know what, Merle, the only person you care about is you. You put yourself in this mess. You, all you think about is you. But can I tell you what the real line is? And this is, now gulp with me. Pull your feet in a little bit because we're going to step on a couple toes and we're going to have to deal with some. We're going to have to swallow some pride here. But, but here's the key issue. When we have this state, you know what the problem is, Merle? Here it is. Write it down. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I want. Well, no, no, no. What do you mean? Well, the wife who says to her husband who seems more concerned about the deer lease and the food he eats than ever having a conversation with her. You know what the problem is here, husband? You don't pay me any attention. I had my hair done four days ago. I I didn't notice. I was bald! Oh. You know what the problem is here, husband? You don't pay attention. You don't understand. You don't care about me. You don't value me. Well, I'd value you more if maybe you'd care about what I care about. And it goes like this, doesn't it? But really, it's, I'm not getting what I want. I, I want my husband to value me. I want my husband to let me know that I'm important to him. You know what the problem is with my boss? He doesn't really understand what hard work is. You know what? I'm not getting what I want been working hard and it would be nice to have a little recognition some words of affirmation it would be nice and I'm not getting what I want and so I'm gonna I'm gonna blame it all on him because he's not giving me what I want 
Now, how do I know this is true? Because the Bible tells me so. The word of God tells us. The book of James, written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, he, he says it like this. You know what causes fights and quarrels among you? <laughs> Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something you don't get it. I'm not getting what I want. From value to significance to acceptance to trust to love to mutual respect, I'm not getting what I want. And so instead of dealing with what I'm not getting, I just point the finger and I get angry. So how do we get to this place where we can deal with not getting what we want? How do we get there? It's a hard road. It's not an easy road. If it were easy, everybody would be going down this road instead of blowing up on each other. If it were easy, we'd all have very solid, non-dysfunctional relationships. But we've got issues, everyone, because it isn't easy. The road is more narrow for us to humble ourselves, for us to trust God in the process instead of us just letting our, control, our emotions control us. It's a lot easier to be controlled by our emotions than it is to truly surrender at first. It gets easier, but at first it's tough. So here's what we do. Write them down. First, we got to humble ourselves. It's not something that Jesus does for you. It's not a spiritual gift of humility. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. Humility, a yieldedness, a surrendering to God, a pushing away from pride. The Bible says God, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself. I am, man, I, I'm not getting what I want. Lord, teach me. What do I, how do I need to manage my expectations? How do I need to fill the gap with trust more? How, why am I always so suspicious of this coworker? Why am I always so suspicious of my stuff? Why am I always just leading with frustration and anger instead of backing up and trusting you and humbling myself? That's your job to humble yourself. You humble yourself and he will lift you up. That's his job. He lifts you up. You humble yourself. The next step would be submit yourself. Same, same word we could use, yield yourself. I find it coincident, you know, it's a pretty good coincidence that uh, not yielding in traffic is the leading cause of road rage in America. Like when you're wanting to get over and they won't let you over and they're supposed to yield and they're not yielding, I mean, you're saying, God bless you. said it before and the staff was making fun of me for old jokes that I've been saying again but I don't care I'm gonna tell it to you anyway we were in we were kids in the car driving to church on Sunday morning my dad's singing the song creating me a clean heart oh God and renew a right spirit within me and we're all singing the song creating me and there's a guy on 235 that won't let him over and he's in acceleration creating me you jerk let me over what are you doing and finally lets him over, and then my dad goes right back into, cast me not away from thy presence. And we all stopped, and we said, Dad, we were just singing, created me a new heart, and then you yelled at that guy. And he went, wow. He said it wouldn't be, uh, it would be a lot funnier if it weren't just embarrassing. We got to yield ourselves. We can get into this church thing, get our gospel on, get our praise on. 
and then be like the world. Yield ourselves. Submit yourselves into God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands. There's a physical part that you're part of. You sinners, purify your hearts. You double-minded. The way we purify our hearts is by surrender to God because you can't unzip your chest and purify your heart. The inner workings of your soul. But you can surrender your hands, wash your hands, and then offer yourself up to Jesus and submit yourself to him. See, clothe yourself. A lot of naked, angry Christians running around. I mean, you forgot to put your pants on for crying out loud. You're at church. You didn't clothe yourself. In Colossians, Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know what this means? It means that patience doesn't walk with you unless you put them on. Kindness ain't going to be with you tomorrow unless you choose to wear it. Gentleness doesn't come natural. It's something you have to place on and walk with and not forget in the closet of your life. you got to clothe yourself. And then finally... Rid yourself. And here's what the beautiful part of ridding yourself is. The more you humble yourself, the more you submit yourself, the more you choose to clothe yourself, the ridding happens naturally. It's not about you taking stuff out. It's about you humbling, offering yourself, clothing yourself, and submitting yourself. And then Jesus begins to do the work in you. On the inside out, he adds to you the fruit of the Spirit. And when you're adding more of Jesus, there's not enough room for all the stupid stuff that makes you angry. So the Bible says... Rid yourselves of the things like anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Because the more you humble yourself and the more you clothe yourself and the more you submit yourself, the the less you want to have filthy language. The less you want to be slanderous. The less you want. It's just a natural process. The more you become like Christ, the less you become like you and your flesh. The more the spirit man builds up inside of you. But that flesh is a strong one. That flesh is always there waiting for you to let your guard down. So it has nothing to do with you just biting your bottom lip with anger. I'm just not going to say anything this time because that becomes the mute. I'm just not going to say it. I'm just going to hold it inside. I'm just going to. It all has to do with the supernatural activity of God starting from the inside out. That's the power of the cross. It's the power of Jesus working in you because you on your best day are not good enough to never get angry again. You are not good enough to ever be rude. You don't have enough moral restraint to live with the fruit of the Spirit active in your life by your own willpower. It takes a supernaturally changed So let me ask you this, what if, what if, everybody, what if we allow Jesus to be the center? What if we offered those things, the stuff that causes quarrels among us? What if we truly surrendered and submitted and clothed ourselves? What would look different this Christmas? What would look different in family? What would change? How would the temperature of your house be Monday getting the kids around for school 
What, what would the environment be around the dinner table? Let me also ask you, what if we don't do this? And what if we keep on letting the stuff inside us get the best of us? What if we don't take the, the, the spirit of God and, and, and surrender to him and allow him to, to work in us to where we are controlling our emotions? What if we don't? You're just going to miss out. You're going to miss out on so much of the blessings of God. But if you will do it, there's abundance, there's goodness, there's peace, there's joy, there's long-suffering, there's peace, there's fruit that is delicious for us to live on. In this Christmas season, we see that Jesus himself powered down. He left the throne room of heaven, took on the very nature of a servant born in a cave he powered down and he took on the cross he 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 offered himself he submitted himself to his father's plan <laughs> he knew he would be about his father's business even at age 12 but he submitted he yielded to his father and says not my own will but yours be done He took on himself. He clothed himself with the price that you and I could not pay to free us from our sin. So it's not about you biting your bottom lip or holding the anger with your technique. More and more, it's, it's, it's about Jesus doing the supernatural change in, in your heart as you yield to him. And let him do what only he can do. Would you pray with me this morning? God, you love the Merles in our lives. <laughs> you died for the Merles and you died for me. And on our best day, we are sinners saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus, for not picking and choosing but for loving humanity that you would give me and them and all of us the opportunity to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning with your heads bowed and eyes closed, and it's not even so much about an anger issue as much as it is a savior issue, like maybe you're not getting what you want because you've been trying to be your own savior. You've been trying to live your own life. You've been trying to sit on your own throne as your own king or your own queen. And the truth is you make a terrible savior for yourself. Jesus wants to be the center of your life, the savior of your life, the Lord of your life. And if you've been trying by biting your, biting your bottom lip, that's, re, that's religion. You're trying to just be a good person. That, that, that's, that's not going, you don't have enough power. You can't do it. But if you recognize the goodness of Jesus and would like him to be the center of your life for the first time or the first time in a long time, because maybe some of you have drifted from him being your Lord and Savior. If that's you, you don't have to go and fix everything. You don't have to go earn it. It's a free gift. In this moment, you say, Jesus, I need you to be the center and the Savior of my life. I've drifted from you. I've never even asked you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I get off the throne of my heart and I'll put you on the throne. If you need to do that today, 
I'm not going to embarrass you, but you need to make the decision. I want to pray with you. With boldness, you'd say, I need to make Jesus the, the center of my life again or for the very first time. If that's you, across this room, would you do this? Right now, in just a second, I want you to put your hand straight up in the air right now. I need Jesus to be the center of my life. I need Jesus to be the center of my life. I'm tired of doing it on my own. Yeah, several hands, many, many hands. I'm looking all across the room. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's not, it's not thank you for me. It's, it's the heart of Jesus saying, thank you for yielding to me today. <laughs> I saw you this morning. I, I knew you were going to have this chance, and I'm never going to push it on you. I'm not going to force you to raise a hand. But Jesus, is it, he's ready to receive you just as you are so that you can become as he sees you can become. In your own words, you say, Jesus, I need you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of the past. Anything that is contradicting to where you would have me live, how you would have me act, what would you would have me believe, and I surrender to you. Be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Thank you, Lord, for not being mad at me today, but loving me so much that would you, you would give me today, December 10th, to make things right with you. I thank you, Jesus. With eyes closed and heads still bowed, if you're here and there's there's a hurt relationship or there's a an issue of anger or maybe it's a simmering maybe it's a full-blown volcano but we just we lay ourselves before Jesus today if you'd like to receive prayer this morning and be in on this next prayer say yeah Jeremy I I want to yield myself I want to humble myself I want to I want to rid myself of any of these things and be clothed with the things of God I don't want to let anger my emotions control me I need the Spirit of God more active in, in an area. If that's you, would you raise a hand? And I'm raising a hand with you. There's areas in my life I, I need to submit more to God. Yeah, yeah, lots of hands. Me too, me too. Jesus, I pray that we would truly yield to your way. That it wouldn't just be a prayer this morning, but it would be a heart change. It would be a deciding for us that we choose how we're going to respond to the people, the men and the women, the relationships in our lives. But Jesus, we, we offer to you an open heart. Give us, give us the, the, the wisdom of your spirit. Give us the, 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 the help of your spirit to guide us, to not let our emotions control us. But Jesus, for you to guide us, for you to lead us, and for you to give us our strength so we can navigate the emotions of life. We thank you, Lord. You're always a good God. You're so faithful to meet us right in our intersection of need. Would you say thank you to the Lord today? Thank you, Jesus. You have not forgotten me. You've not forgotten this issue that needs to be reconciled. You've not forgotten about my marriage. You do love me, and I'm not going to do it on my own and just not get what I want. I'm going to, I want what you want. I want what you want, Jesus. So I turn the script, and instead of me just not getting what I want more than anything Holy Spirit, we want what you want. May we become who you want us to become. And we all ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. And everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, put your hands together for those that made a decision to follow Jesus today. Excited for you. Thankful for you. Best decision you could make. Best decision. Best, best purchase for your life way beyond Amazon and eBay and good deals from Best Buy. Like his purchase of you, you receiving that gift today, the best gift you'll receive this Christmas. 
your next step would be to fill out a connect card and where on the red line it says I'm making a commitment or recommitting my life and as you walk out in just a moment you can drop that at our next steps booth maybe talk to someone about it we'd love to help you with the next step here at Timber Creek Church Lord I am thankful thankful for what God is doing what he continues to do now I usually close like this but I want to just remind us the reason I close like this is it's it's kind of a biblical thing, but I'm just praying a blessing over you. You don't have to do this, but I, I, I'd encourage you, just put your hands on your heart like this and just want to pray a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you know his love is true. May you experience his peace. We're celebrating the Prince of Peace this Christmas season. May you offer everything to him. Humble yourself, and he will lift you up. If you receive it, would you say amen? God bless you, everybody. Invite someone to church. Use our invites. We'll see you next Sunday.